This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 163. We'll be talking to Shasta Nelson, um, who is the author of a new book called The Business of Friendship, which is talking about building and maintaining close relationships with colleagues and why that's important and makes uh, your career both uh, work better and also feel better uh, if you have people you enjoy spending time with at work. Um, so Sarah, how's your how's your friend game looking at the moment? Not great. <laughs> I mean, I've talked about this before, but I felt like it takes years when you move to establish your friend group. I think it took me like four years in Miami Beach. We moved here less than two years ago. Haven't been able to to do it. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm like starting, but then COVID really, really threw a wrench. Like there was, I was on some neighborhood WhatsApp groups and was like at the point where I might be like, oh, maybe this person would want to run with me or like sort of tried to start a neighborhood book club that didn't go anywhere. And then COVID really like wasn't great timing because when you've moved to a new place, like you want to go to kind of bigger, more casual gatherings perhaps as you're getting to know someone. So 
So yeah, my friend game is is sort of lame right now. And even my like really close friends from Miami Beach, like we did one Zoom date with them recently and it was great, but like we've barely seen them and it makes me so sad. So I don't know, hopefully that will get a little bit better someday. We did go to an outdoor pool party for Annabelle's BFF and that was really fun. And we're probably going to do a beach play date with them. And I like the mom, so that, that'll be nice. As an aside, I have a little bit of an issue where I like can't bring myself to attend a kid's Zoom birthday party. Like... <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't doesn't do it for you. In fact, any Zoom celebration, like I have this block where I just don't even want to write it in my planner. I'm like, I, I just and and I will like I had one that I would have gone to that I actually did accidentally miss, and that made me kind of sad because I'm very close with them. But otherwise, like I I just I don't or know. The car have you been parade? To did you do the car parade? No, I don't do car parades. I mean, if it were like a close family member and I was going to get to like see them and have a conversation with them, like tiny car parade, I would consider it. But like the idea of like 20 third graders, like driving past a house, like I'm a horrible person. I'm sorry. Please don't hate me for this. I just, <laughs> we I'm all not, have the things we dislike. <laughs> not into it. <laughs> what about you? Some people hate puppies and rainbows. <laughs> I don't hate puppies or rainbows. <laughs> Those are both lovely things. <laughs> oh dear. Have you gone to a bunch of have you piled all five kids in the car and gone to some We've we've only done a few of I mean, most people have just not done stuff. I mean, they've just, you know, if people were celebrating birthdays, they just do a small family kind of thing. One year, I guess it's not a big deal to to do something like that. And we've done a few car things for like end of school related stuff, right? So we did those to go celebrate and see the teachers and wave and say hi and and all that. And that seemed fairly innocuous. (laughs) I don't know. It was okay for me. No, I I did do it for the school. I I guess I drove by to get Annabelle supplies and said hi to her teacher, but that was, that was about it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Zoom is just awkward in general. We've done family conversations on on Zoom. It's it's always it's as hard to manage as it would a, a work thing. Only it's harder because you don't have an agenda per se, and you don't have one person in charge. So, given that those are necessary components of a business Zoom meeting, and you don't have them generally when you are having a social get together, it makes it quite difficult to to pull it off. So, you know, there's a reason it feels awkward. Oh. I wonder if families would be better off being like, okay, agenda, we're all going to go around and say this. And like, well, they would be. I, don't know. I mean, you 100% would be. You need one person to be the facilitator. So whoever, maybe whoever organized it can just put that person in charge of it. They can then go around and ask everybody a question in turn, uh, ask people follow-up questions by name, like, Joe, can you say what you wanted to say about Mary doing that? You know, it, it, it sounds terrible, but that's how it works, right? And that keeps it from being exhausting and awful. Um, so I guess, you know, kind of got to get your head around that. Because <laughs> truthfully, if you're at a family gathering, everyone's having individual conversations. Yes. It is not yes. all one large thing with you all facing each other. And that's why it's so... Twelve of you on it is like the worst Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> ever. Because I mean, imagine like 12 of you around a table trying to have one conversation. Like somebody winds up dominating it. Somebody's, you know, trying to say something, but being ignored. Like somebody's just carping about whatever. Somebody's like on our phone. Like it just, that's what it winds up being. So it has to be either put into smaller groups or somebody facilitating it. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we haven't done that much friend-related stuff either this this summer. Um, but you run had, with another person. Yeah, that I, run, I, run, I run with somebody, so that's great. We have had 
are a couple people over for like porch, like drinks on the porch in the course of the past few months. And it's been wonderful every time we do that. I think you, you could obviously have too many social obligations and feel like they're draining or whatever. But when you're only having a few of them, you wind up looking forward to them a lot. And it's like other people, oh my goodness, we're not just talking to each other. <laughs> so I, I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. And that was nice to, to have. Yeah. That does sound really nice. Yeah. Well, we'll hear from Shasta about how we can maintain friendships in this challenging time. So looking forward to that. Well, Sarah and I are delighted to welcome Shasta Nelson to the program. She is the author of a new book called The Business of Friendship, and she is also an expert on friendship in general. So Shasta, first, I would love to have you introduce yourself to our listeners and and then, you know, a little bit about your work, your life, and, and what drew you to this topic. Yeah, I've been studying friendship now for 12 years, really specifically. I'm always passionate about relationships in general, but I found myself looking at some studies coming out talking about specifically at the time for women, how significant their friendships were to their health and to their happiness. And yet I was looking around at all of us being so obsessed with the parent-child relationship and the romantic relationships. And like, we were buying thousands of books and we were like, who am I if I don't have these relationships? And it was like, that was just like, we think of them as the, the... kind of the things we need in our lives. And yet the research shows that those things actually aren't always that great for our happiness and our health. Uh, and uh, traditionally haven't always been that way. And that is our friendships that ma- make such a difference. So I just found myself kind of in that space where I was looking around being like, why aren't people talking about this more? Why aren't people doing more research on this? Why are we like not finding resources for people? And that's really what kind of just put me in that space. Uh, it wasn't because I knew that much about it. It was because I was asking the questions and just trying to find resources for people, for people I was working with and stuff. And ever since then, I've been reading and devouring and learning and listening and teaching and writing books and speaking and and gathering up, you know, and most of it's with women. And um, this book puts me a little bit broader. I'm doing more co-ed, which is actually very cool too, because I've long felt that men, I think this is one of the reasons why they die younger than women. <laughs> and, uh, and I think this is why I think men need... I don't think it's a women's issue. I think it's a human need. And so I'm really excited to be talking about it in those broad terms too. But yeah, friendship is like the thing. <laughs> friendship is the thing. And you actually have a, a, a ministerial degree, don't you? I mean, you're approaching this from a really sort of holistic perspective. Yeah, my training is I've uh, got a master's of divinity and I used to pastor. And so it felt like a big veer off the road. But when I look back on it, I was like, that was where I was doing marriage counseling. I was training small groups. So you're, and as a pastor, you're asking the question, how do I bond community? What is community? And how do people belong? And and so really thinking through when somebody walks in the door as a visitor, what does it mean to actually participate and belong? And so, yeah, I, in many ways, have always been about community and wanting wanting all of us to feel that sense of yeah, belonging. And unfortunately in churches, not all of them, but unfortunately in most churches, you can experience that belonging, but there's a lot of that you have to believe a certain thing to belong, or you have to behave a certain way to behave, or you have to appear a certain way to, you know, and, and that kind of never rubbed me right either. So it's really just how do we all as humans get that need to feel connected, met in ways where we just feel accepted for who we are. So yeah, that's been a life passion. And, and what made you want to tackle the workplace side of it then? Yeah, such a good question. I So here's the thing. My second book was uh, titled Friendtimacy, and that one was talking about how most of us, 
when we feel lonely, and that's a word that most of us don't actually even use and name very well, but when we feel like we want something more, most of us, it's not we want more interaction or that we need to know more people or that we need to go make new friends. Most of us, it's that we need to we need to have closer relationships. We're craving intimacy. We're craving more meaningful relationships. And so I was noticing that a lot of us, when we felt lonely, we were like, oh, I need to go make friends. I need to meet people. And I was like, no, you actually know enough people. You don't feel known by a few. And so you need to like go deeper. And so when I teach what deepens relationship, one of the three things that deepens relationships is consistent time and shared experiences and repeated interaction. And I, this won't surprise you at all, uh, the number one thing I heard is I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be that consistent. I, you know, I, I, I can only meet her for lunch once a month, or I can only see them, you know, once a year when I fly out there, or I just don't have time to be on the phone. And I just over and over and over, I don't have time. And I've thought, you know, I could do my darndest to like talk you into one more hour a week. And, and that's not going, when you see the numbers collectively of 61% of us feeling lonely on a somewhat regular basis, I was like, I don't think I can talk you into one more hour and that's going to make the biggest difference. I think we need to tackle, you know, work is like to adults, what school is to kids. This is where we're spending time with people, where we're interacting, where we're making our biggest contribution. And I was like, why don't we talk about putting friendship in our whole life as opposed to trying to fit it in this personal life bucket with a thousand other things? And to me, this is really answering the question of like, how can we get more of our emotional social needs met uh, in the biggest part of our lives in that bucket? So it's answering the question, I don't have time. Well, you do. <laughs> Just do it at work <laughs> where you spend a lot of time. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, but I, I think a lot of people feel a little weird about that, right? I mean, first, we're accustomed to thinking of life in separate spheres. But, you know, one is where we can have this, this vulnerability, you know, the intimacy with people in our personal lives you know, we, we feel a little bit weird about that in, in the workplace. Like, is, is it okay to be vulnerable and, and intimate with people at work? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And it's so interesting because we are uncomfortable with it. When I was doing the research, about 30% of us are like, yeah, and yet when asked how many of us want a friend, almost all of us are like, oh, yes, please. You know, in at work, we're like, we're not sure it's appropriate, but we want one. And also it is, it is, whether we like it or not, it is the number one place adults are making their friends. And so that is happening. And the, my bigger question is it is happening we need it to happen. What we need to do is talk about it more and teach healthy expectations and set this up so that it's best for the people involved and for the workplace. And the research shows uh, it is absolutely paramount not to our not only to our individual health and happiness, but to the organizations of whom we work, which is really fascinating. I mean, there's 20 years of research. I mean, we're talking decades and many, many different people studying it in a variety of different ways who say, if you have a best friend at work, you are the best employee for the workplace. You're more engaged. You have better, you treat the customers better. You're less likely to leave. So we're bringing our turnover costs down. You uh, call in sick less. You have fewer workplace accidents. I mean, you just look down the list and the people who have a best friend at work absolutely show up and feel more engaged, look forward to Monday morning, the the Monday morning in air quotes, and uh, feel like they want to kind of, they feel supported and they feel safer brainstorming. They feel safer taking risks. They feel safer showing up with big ideas. And those last few ideas are examples of vulnerability in the workplace. And to your point, a lot of us are like, well, we picture people telling personal drama and disclosing <laughs> like all these, like he did what last night? And we, I, we picture vulnerability and we have like these fears that pop into our head immediately. And I do teach incremental, slow 
vulnerability when we talk about disclosing and I teach how to do that in a healthy, safe way. Uh, but more importantly, vulnerability is the, what we need in order to brainstorm. It's what we need to be able to say, I actually don't know the answer to this, or I actually need help with this, or, um, you know, not just diversity, but inclusion is vulnerability. It's like, let me, I don't want to just have you be a token different person at the table. I actually want your differences to impact our answers here and your story to change what we're trying to do and how you're experiencing this. And I mean, all, when we actually list everything we want for the workplace and how we will be better together, it takes an incredible amount of vulnerability to, to do that. This is so interesting and very much falls in line with some projects that I'm actually working on at work right now, which is funny because I don't really let that part get into the podcast too much. But oh, I am, <laughs> one of my newer roles is to work, to be on this wellness committee. And one of the things we're doing is exactly that, trying to just build a friend community amongst the like jillions of physicians that work in this one healthcare system. And there it, it is. And, and I will say the older generation is more resistant to that. And I wonder if that's because they're trying to preserve some separation. Whereas the younger ones, and particularly the younger ones with parents have been like, yes, let's get together. Let's do stuff. Like we just started a WhatsApp group that people are actually participating in. And I can see that like, we're starting with these really like mundane things. But if we continue, maybe people will start to like, strip some layers off. And then maybe we could someday actually meet in person and hang out. And that would be like, that be nice? a whole other level. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, the research just shows and backs that up of how important that is from, I mean, I just listed a whole bunch of stuff that where that benefits the organization. But from us, personally, these are the people that we're interacting with who help us build resilience. You know, when you, especially when you talk about doctors and the people on the front lines, I mean, the more supported they feel, the more people that they have sharing similar experiences and saying, I struggle with that too. And yes, this is what my customer did or my patient did. And, you know, I mean, these are the things that help us build resilience, help us feel more supported, help us feel like what we're doing matters. It helps us kind of get oriented to ourselves. And when you look at happiness and health numbers, these are the people who are impacting our health uh, more so than like that best friend we only talk to every couple months or something. I mean, these are the people we're interacting with and have more are affecting whether we come home stressed or not more than anything else. I say come home, whether it's virtual or whatever that looks like for each of us. But yeah, these are the people that are are shaping, shaping us and our happiness and our mental health and our well-being in the area where we are arguably spending the bulk of our brain and our, our time. So it's, that's a beautiful story. So how do you go about getting a best friend at work, though? I mean, it's sort of, <laughs> you're not, you know, in seventh grade anymore, right? You're <laughs> yeah. and passing notes in class and, you know, pinky swearing your best friends or something. So what, what, how does this tend to happen? Yeah, so it tends to happen where we, so what, what makes the workplace amazing for building friendships is there's three requirements that have to be, so when we study any healthy relationship, there's three things that have to be present. And one of them I named earlier was consistency. It's consistent interaction. And that's why that one is what happens automatically in many workplaces, because we have proximity, we have kind of, we're being pulled together on video calls, like we're meeting people on a, and seeing them on a regular basis. If in our non-work friends, this is the one that's hardest for us to pull off, because the only way to get that consistency is to initiate it, to schedule it, to send those five emails back and forth to like schedule three weeks out. But here we're paid to interact. So in our work, we have the consistency somewhat done for us, which is fabulous. And then we're going to build our bond with the people in that space who do the other two requirements with us. So we're seeing a whole bunch of people. The other two requirements are vulnerability and positivity. 
And so we're going to build relationships with those who we practice these three things with. We pick, our, like, it's interesting, our best friends are not the people we pick because they're the most amazing people, because we interviewed them, because we have the most in common with them. Our brains tell us that, but we actually, any relationship we've ever built, it's because we practice those three things the most with those people. We had the most enjoyable, positive emotions when we interact with them. We have the most, we feel most seen and understood and gotten with that vulnerability. And we have enough shared history that we start feeling like we can trust each other and have that safety and that reliability to that pattern. And so the more we practice positivity, consistency, and vulnerability, that will be who becomes our best friend. And that takes time and that's developed. And in a workplace, I'm always saying, you're, there's five levels of relationship that I teach and it's kind of subjective, but that's just for our brains to kind of see different growth. And it's, you don't find a best friend, you develop a best friendship with some people by practicing these three things over and over and over and over. Well, awesome. We're going to delve more into that in a second. We're going to just take a quick ad break. So Sarah and I are talking with Shasta Nelson, who is the author of the new book, The Business of Friendship. And she is sharing why friend, you know, work the workplace is a great place to make friends, to have friends. The consistency is, of course, part of this. But it's interesting that your book is coming out now, six <laughs> months after so many people have been, you know, ripped out of their workplaces, working from home for the first time. How how does that change what's what's going on in terms of workplace friendships? Oh, it changes it in huge ways because now that consistency that we had by, uh, you know, now I can walk to my kitchen and take a break, but there's nobody else in the break room, <laughs> you know, and now you can like, we have a, we have a, we can do a video conference meeting where we're all still pulling together. But if we were in person, we would have little side conversations before the meeting got started. So one-on-one we'd have to ask about the weekend and we'd ha- walk to the back to our desks together. And so we're missing the, the small moments. We're missing the spontaneous conversations, kind of what proximity allows and invites. And so So yeah, we're now a little bit the way I would compare it. You know, it's a little bit like sending your kids to school versus now they're being homeschooled and you have to be more, more strategic. You have to like, it can be done, but now we have to kind of go back to being intentional about scheduling that consistency again. And now this puts it back into the same category as some of our non-work friends, where it's like for us to feel close, we are going to have to have some pattern, some way of interacting. And if it's not automatically being done in meetings and in video calls now, we're back to the place where we do have to figure out a new pattern. We have to, which on the one hand is good because uh, I always say work is the number one place where most of us make friends as adults. It's also the number one place most of us end friendships, not meaning to, but when we change jobs, most of our friendships die simply because we never put to put together a new pattern of consistency. We actually really liked each other. Um, and then we just assumed we'd stay connected. But if we never actually created a new pattern, a new way of like, now, how do we interact? Now, when do we interact? Now, how often do we get together? And what is it we do together? If we didn't answer those questions, that friendship kind of died. And now in some ways, we have that privilege of getting to practice that with if we had good friends in the workplace, we get to practice putting that new pattern together now. And it could uh, help build, make sure these friendships last beyond the time we share this job together, you know? So at some point this has to happen. We're being forced to figure it out sooner than later now. 
I wonder if you could give an example of what that might look like. Like, uh, you know, should I, if I have, let's say somebody is your colleague and you'd like to have a friendship with them. I mean, should you say, let's, let's do a Monday coffee break together. I mean, should you just call them after every meeting you're in and say whatever you would have said on the way to the bathroom in the hallway? I mean, what, <laughs> what, what should you do? It is, uh, it is hard and it depends on how much relationship you had with them before you got you know, before you're all back in your homes now, if you had, if you felt like you were good friends, absolutely, we should be saying, okay, we don't know when we're getting back to the office. We need to like figure this out. Uh, what works for you? Does uh, let's get something in the calendar? And to your point, anything that can be automated is a pattern that we can put in place. That then means we're spending more time engaging and spending time together, and less time having to do the logistics of an inviting, scheduling, and organizing. So anything that can be automated. Let's say, would you rather start our week every Monday for 20 minutes talking about what's coming up for the week and how the weekend went? Do you want to end every, do a quick video toast at the end on Friday? Should we do virtual lunch on Wednesdays? Like what works for you? So absolutely, we want to be putting that into place. It's harder, I think, for those of us who got a lot of our social needs met, but didn't really foster any friendships where it would feel that comfortable to reach out and do one-on-one. And in that case, we still need to do it, um, it's going to be a little more awkward. Somebody may not want to just commit to you every single week if you didn't have that kind of interaction with them in the office. And or for people who are starting as new hires now and don't have that relationship to start with, it's uh, we have to be way more intentional. Um, this is where managers, I do a ton of stuff. I like really passionate about managers and leaders helping take some of this on. But yeah, for those of us who may not have had those friends, I think we could, one of the things I've heard one person do that was great was he just made a list of a couple names of people that he wanted to know or liked. And he just like kind of reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm just trying to make sure that I get my social needs met. And I think that's the cool thing is now we're, we, we can say it like we can, we're all in it. We all know we're working from home. He's like, I need to talk to somebody other than my two-year-olds and in my meetings. And so, you know, just like, I'm just reaching out and doing one phone call every Thursday. And I'd love to have you be one of my Thursday calls, you know, so schedule if you're happy to. And, and he kind of just put the call out to a broader group of people. And I think that's great. I mean, I think we can kind of own that and say, this is, we all have these needs. This is not a problem with us. This is us doing what's healthy and good for us. And so we can step into that and say, I need to, it's not going to just happen for me. I have to do something to make it happen. And I guess it's a reason why having recurring things or patterns or rituals kind of help make it easier because then you're not kind of thinking about how you might accomplish that each time or making that awkward Thursday call, you know, 40 different times instead exactly. you just make it once and say, we're going to meet every other Thursday. Exactly. Done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's always the best answer to everything. I mean, I have every Sunday, I have a Zoom call with four of my best girlfriends and, you know, and that's just, it's so nice. We don't have to like email back and forth and are you free and are you go-? like, it's just, it's just, you just step right into it. And now, now 99% of our relationship is just engaging and interacting and laughing. We do very little logistics, like it's been done. So that's the amazing thing about something that's just longstanding and a routine. So I have a question. You mentioned that this is so important for managers to kind of get people to, yeah. to do, but it's it's kind of, if you are in a managerial position, and I know a lot of our listeners are sort of in that point, the, the workplace relationship thing gets a little bit stickier maybe in a, in a kind of hierarchical setup. Can it only be friends with people on your same level? Like what can you, can you have friendships with people who aren't, or is people going to worry you're playing favorites? I mean, how, how can you navigate that? 
Yeah, that is one of my chapters I am most proud of in my book and most I just really have a strong stance that if there's anybody in our organizations that should be functioning from a place of not loneliness, it's our leaders. And I'm really not okay with the it's lonely at the top philosophy and like just to keep everyone comfortable, we need to make sure that you don't have friends in these relationships. I am like, if there's anybody we need feeling connected, it's our leaders and our managers. So we know that loneliness reduces our empathy. We know that loneliness reduces our ability to dream big. We know that loneliness, I, I want my leader I want my boss, I want my manager, like showing up, feeling so connected, so believed in and so loved. And so for me, I really have a stance that our leaders should be building friendships. And I don't think it's realistic that we can say you can only do it with people at your level. I mean, what if we're at the same level and then you get promoted and now we can't be friends? And then what if I get promoted and now we can and then I get promoted and now we can't? And I was like, and I interview one story, these two guys where it's just that it's like, they both worked for each other. One went to another company, one was their boss. I mean, and I was like, I just love that they were able to say, rather than say, let's not trust ourselves to be friends and still do our jobs with this. Let's instead show up and to say, let's have the big conversations and trust ourselves to say, so what does our friendship bring to this that we can, you know, we can do our job better because of our friendship. And what are the things we're hesitant around and that we need to be cautious of and work around. And I teach in my whole, I have a whole chapter where I'm like, here's the conversation conversations we could be having. Here's the questions we should be asking. You know, now that I'm your boss, if there was a situation, God forbid, I hope not, but what if I, what if you're not performing? What if I have to tell you that you're not doing a great job? How would you want me to do that? Like what would be important? How, how could we do that in a way where we do a good job and maintain our friendship? I mean, have these conversations ahead of time, you know, where there's no, where we don't think it's actually realistic. We will learn so much about each other. We'll feel closer, bonded, and it helps put in our heads this could happen and we are going to, we can do it. We can show up for that and be mature. So I really, I, I didn't talk to a single leader who once they started feeling like they were closer to one person or had a friendship that they stopped caring about the team, that they stopped <laughs> caring about their job, that they no longer wanted to do a good job. They now wanted to show favorites. I mean, everybody there, if anything, they were trying so hard. I think they, they said they became better leaders because they were now saying, I'm, I don't want anyone to think I'm spending too much time with this one person. So now I want to make sure that I'm spending a lot of quality time with everybody. I mean, I think we can trust that if you're putting somebody in a leadership role, trust them. You know, we can, we need them connected and we can practice trust. And will there be a few mistakes? Yes, but there's a thousand right now from loneliness. So I am all about uh, having the awkward conversations and practicing. <laughs> exactly. Um, one other question with, you know, you mentioned that it, earlier talking about how most people don't need to meet more people. They need to sort of deepen the relationships they have with the people they already know. I wonder if you could share just for our listeners, maybe a step or two they could take if they have identified a person or two in their lives that, you know, seems cool. Like you see this person occasionally, like you'd like to get to know them a little bit better, maybe build that into a, a deeper friendship. What sort of steps should they do to make that happen? Yeah, I I would say start that post-it note and write down the names of those people so that you see those names, stick them on your computer uh, and just kind of be like, okay, these are the these are the people I think are kind of cool. And then I would kind of look at each of those and evaluate them based on those three requirements. And I would say, okay, so this one I see pretty regularly because every time we drop our kids off at school, I see her, da, 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 da. So which one do we really need? And we have a good time and we laugh and we tell stories, but we don't really know each other. We haven't spent enough time to be vulnerable and actually get to know each other. So with this one, I need to practice a little bit, like how do we get to know each other? Maybe we need to have a longer period of time. So maybe the next step is saying, hey, next time we drop our kids off at school, do you want to go grab a coffee? You know, and so it's like strategically thinking through this person on my list. I've known her a long time, but we only talk a couple times a year, but every time we talk, we pick up right where we left off. So we've got vulnerability and it feels good. I get off the phone happy, but we don't do it for another six 
months. So in this situation, increasing the frequency of that, like calling her in three weeks instead of waiting five months would be the thing. And so we can kind of look at those names. And once you understand that we have to have all three of these things to build a relationship, once you get that, it changes everything because you can look at any person and you can say, this one's missing positivity. We just are in a, we just have not been having fun together. It feels heavy. I find myself not wanting to be consistent with her or vulnerable with her because it just doesn't feel good. What can I do to change the positivity ratio here? And so it allows us to start getting information that lets us be really specific. So it sucks for like podcasts because I can't just give one answer, <laughs> but it helps the rest of us <laughs> and to be like, this isn't a one size fits all. This is a unique to practice consistency, positivity, and vulnerability with these people. And you have to do it again and again. And you just have to keep doing these three things. And I can guarantee you, we can put two strangers in a room. We can put two people who don't like each other in a room. And if we do the activities and the questions that facilitate these three things, we will bond you. So this is the powerful thing is you don't have to leave it up to chance. You don't have to say, I hope it works. Like we, you can bond with anybody if you do these three things. Awesome. I wonder at what point in your vulnerability you could admit that you had a post-it note with their name on it. <laughs> I think they would love creepy. it. <laughs> I did say I, I invited four girlfriends out for uh, to a wine bar a couple years ago, and I did kind of say to them, I was like, everybody's moved away. I mean, I have really good friends that I talk to, but you four are the people who are local that I am investing in this year. And I was like, so consider yourselves warned. I'm coming after you, you know, and they just all laughed and loved it. And they all like said to me later, like, I felt so special. I felt so loved. I was so excited. And I think, I think we, we act like it's, a, we're worried about it. And I think obviously if, <laughs> obviously if you don't know the person that well, it might be a little weird, but we do want to feel um, chosen. We, all of us, the numbers are high. This isn't, and I think that's one of the things that lights me up the most is we have treated loneliness as a problem. And it's not, it's your body telling you you're hungry for connection. It's the same way as if you feel hunger, it's not a problem that you're hungry. It's a problem if you ignore it or deny it or pretend you don't have it. It's a problem if you don't have access to food or don't have nourishing food, but just being hungry is not a problem. So loneliness isn't a problem. It's not doing something about it is the problem. That's where the damage comes from. So we want to all the emotional intelligence would tell us we want to get better at like, oh, that's interesting. I feel like I wish I were more seen. I wish I felt more connected. I wish I felt more understood. I want, want to feel more s- supported. Okay, what is my body? Who should I do that with? And and how can I get that need met? And it's the healthiest among us that will pursue that and do something about it. And when you see that 61% of us and millennials and Gen Z is even higher than that, are feeling a desire for more connection. It says to us, most of the people we're connecting with and seeing out in the world and and my workplace and the people, they're feeling it too. I mean, I'm not alone in this. So they will appreciate me reaching out. Awesome. Well, Shasta, we always end with a love of the week, which is something that is really cool in our lives right now. Um, Sarah and I can go first to give you a second to think about it. All right. Love it. Yes. So um, mine is our crepe myrtles, which are blooming right now. I can look out the window and see them. Um, They bloom late summer and are continuing to bloom in September, which is when we are recording. And in particular, there there are two right behind my back porch. And one is big and tall. The other is finally tall enough that we can see from the porch and from inside the blossoms. It, it, you know, the old one died about six years ago and cut it down to the stump, but left one little shoot going up. And now it is a tree. Uh, it's always a reminder that, you know, trees do grow and they get oh, bigger. And awesome. now I enjoy looking at it. So I'm, and now, I'm really we like, all, now we all want to see it. <laughs> well, maybe I'll post a picture. Yeah. Okay, exactly. there you go. <laughs> 
Sarah? Well, mine on theme with this podcast is um, the several WhatsApp groups that I am part of. None of them are like close friend groups. Like one of them is my daughter's class and one of them is my other daughter's class. And one of them is now a work parenting group, which I feel like could be fodder for for friends in the future. But um, they're just like a nice way to get conversations started. And I don't find them like super addicting. Like I can check in and then do something else. And then like, you know, when I feel the need for that sort of connection can check back in. So yeah, I think it's a great tool. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow that theme around. I'm going to go with uh, Marco Polo, the app. And I just was on it this morning. It's an app where you can just do quick video call, quick video messages to each other. And so what I love about it, and I just went on with four girlfriends, we have a group going and it's nice because I can just listen to them while I'm making coffee. They can do it on their commute. Like we can all do it whenever it's most convenient to each of us. And we can just pop in and have this ongoing conversation. And so I feel, I feel like I had girlfriend time this morning and it's just because I watched their videos from yesterday yesterday and last night and left a little video this morning. So Marco Polo is helping me feel more connected. That's awesome. Well, Shasta, thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, uh, her book is The Business of Friendship. So please be sure to check that out. And do you have a website people could come visit you at as well? Uh, the business of friendship.com is the best one for the book and all of the free resources. But ShastaNelson.com is where you can find me with my speaking and all of that kind of stuff. And thank you so much for having me and for the good work both of you are doing in this world, inspiring and teaching and just putting good stuff out there. I'm so impressed. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks thank for joining you. us. Yeah. Well, that was great. So now we are back with the question portion of this episode. I'll start, uh, I'll ask it and then Sarah can answer and we'll, we'll go from there. So this listener writes in that she'd love to hear more about the roles that your parents and in-laws play in your lives. How close do you live to them? How often do you see them? And how has the pandemic affected this? I have a two-year-old and one on the way and we have two busy jobs and live far away from both sets of grandparents. And COVID had made this harder um, because there used to be lots of travel, but even before we debated moving closer. So Sarah, what's your situation here? Yeah. So we are close to my husband's family from a distance perspective. We're about like 30, 40 minutes away. However, like there are some family health issues that have meant that we haven't been able to see them since COVID hit, which has been really sad. I think maybe the time is is starting to turn where they'll be ready to at least have us like come by for some outdoor stuff, perhaps. I think having a toddler like just makes things a little bit more difficult because I'm just trying to like imagine scenarios like I don't know. Plus our weather has been unpredictable. Anyway, I think things will get a little bit better down the road, but we really haven't seen them in person. We still do lots of FaceTime. My parents are far away and we have not seen them. We FaceTime with them as well. They're also over 70 and being fairly cautious and they haven't been ready to like fly down here or anything, but they did get to hang out with my sister and um, her daughter and they just, in an abundance of caution, they just got tests before they went and then um, drove up and, and got to hang out for a few days, which was was great. I guess I will say like, you know, the, the upcoming holiday season is going to make me kind of sad. Like there are some Jewish holidays where I don't really celebrate the holiday, but I really enjoy the family gatherings. And obviously that part's not going to be happening in its usual form. And that's going to be sad. And then like Thanksgiving, like envisioning that happening without, you know, the big family gatherings I'm used to. Anyway, I'm really digressing from this question. I guess I would say, yeah, COVID's changed a lot. I think I'm hoping it's temporary. And I really like living near family. I think it's really worth doing. Like we can't live near all of our family because they're in different places. But I feel like I would be inclined to live near one or the other unless there was some reason that I didn't like those areas or they were just not conducive to our jobs. But Josh and I are doctors, so we could kind of work in most places. So I, I would think that 
you know, on our priority list would be being close to family of some kind. Yeah. And this person has one kid and another on the way. I mean, if you have young enough grandparents that they are um, able to help out, I mean, just having them as backup, like not that they're going to be your primary childcare or anything like that, but you know, daycare, there can be times you can't send your kid, but they're not really that sick. For instance, you know, a grandparent might be able to step in for that. Or if you have to stay late at work, for some reason, they might be able to go send a sitter home or go pick up your kids at school or daycare or something like that. And having that layer of backup allows you a lot of flexibility and ability to focus that many people either don't have or have to pay a lot <laughs> to get. Um, and, and so it's an incredible kind of subsidy to the two income lifestyle that is amazing for people who can pull it off. And that's one of the reasons that people do move um, because it is worth it, uh, you know, that you're not paying many, many thousands of dollars a year for that extra layer of backup that you might need if, if your parents are able to provide that. Now, obviously not all parents can do that. And so that's a separate issue, uh, you know, but if, if you can, then, then that's great. And the more kids you have, the less realistic it probably less is. Realistic it is. I, nobody wants to watch five children. I, let me just put that out there. But we've, um, we've been sending, you know, one kid at a time to my parents, they moved to New Jersey a year and a half ago. um, And a year ago, roughly, and they will take a kid at a time for a special weekend. And that's been really nice over the past few months for them to go have this time with their grandparents, especially when the, a lot of their camps were canceled and things like that, um, that it was something special for, for the summer. So, you know, that's a, that's a fun way to incorporate them into your life as well. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, talking with Shasta Nelson about the business of friendship. And we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Since every minute counts when you're a new parent, who wants to waste time washing bottles? Transform this daily tour with the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro. The first machine that automatically washes, sterilizes, and dries bottles, pump parts, and sippy cups at the push of a button. 
its 20 spray jets clean everything 100%. Plus, it sterilizes with steam, then dries with germ-free air. Don't waste time on tedious handwashing. Let the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro do it for you. Shop now at babybretza.com.